everybody and welcome to another episode of the daily diatribe today is the 19th of april the year 2020 the umpteenth day of the quarantine and recently there's been a lot of political upheaval across the united states in relation to the coronavirus uh, and the consequences that is created not only on the healthcare industry the massive burden that it's been having but a lot of the stay in orders have been proven to be very controversial across america with three states already issuing uh, guidelines on how they're going to reopen their economies, uh, the state of West Virginia, uh, which has a de uh, man who was elected as a Democrat but uh, became a Republican during his term, Montana, which has a Democratic governor, and Vermont, which has a Republican governor. So it's very odd to see these three states all kind of do the same thing at the same time, but they're all issuing guidelines to reopen their economies. Uh, additionally, we've seen mass protests across the United States with uh, calls by the president to quote-unquote liberate certain states, which has been controversial, to say the least. And so we got a lot on our agenda tonight, and I have my two co-hosts with me here tonight, uh, operating from the, the great white north, no, not Canada, uh, the Upper Peninsula, red, as always, and uh, the sometimes late and never early, except that one time. Uh, operating from Monroe County, uh, incognito. So we're glad to have the full crew here tonight to talk about the coronavirus its, and its political consequences. Woo! Very interesting. So I know I'm just going to get us snowballing with this uh, sort of thing. So I've heard recently that the hospitals have had a huge burden placed upon them, and many of them may go under. So uh, I know, incognito, you sent me a little bit of information about that earlier. So would you like to expand on it? Um, yeah, any, like, the non-essential issue, or the, you can almost say the non-essential question, <laughs> is expanding to not just people outside of the medical field, but even in. Because, you know, elective surgeries, all of your procedures, besides, strangely, abortion, um, is considered non-essential. So how do they determine a non-essential healthcare worker? It kind of seems right now that all healthcare workers would be yeah. in some manner of essential. I don't know, but your, your hip replacements, some of your chemotherapies. Yeah. Oh, yeah no. Your chemotherapies are considered non-essential, but abortion is. Um, but yeah, where's stuff? That seems kind of uh, an odd choice. I don't. Is that in all states or is that just in Michigan? The definition of abortion as, as essential, I think, varies by state. 
But those stats that I sent you earlier, like the Mayo Clinic is not in Michigan. Yeah. So I know some states, I've seen some states offer different things and some states going down different paths. Now, the real question would be, why would they furlough any healthcare worker? Because it seems like even doctors where this isn't their specialty would have the bare minimum of medical training to kind of keep everything sanitary. Because I guess not all hospitals are being overrun. Really? Yeah, I've heard. And I know, that... um, you can go ahead if you want. Oh, thank you. Uh, I've heard that uh, some hospitals, like, were preparing with a huge, like, onslaught of corona patients, and that simply didn't happen. So now they're on, like, they're like financially, they're kind of screwed. I see what you mean, because uh, I, I was doing a little bit of research earlier, and I found out that hospitals, uh, they make a lot of their money off of knee replacements, hip replacements, and more uh, more less invasive things like that that are mostly about mobility uh, or, you know, cancer treatments. And so that's kind of been devastating to them financially to undergo the corona crisis, which I know may seem callous of me to mention, but if there are no hospitals, nobody's going to be able to take care of anybody. So that, that's why I mention it. Exactly. Because it's very important right now. This is relevant. Our hospitals open. I think... That the only like medical service that should be declared non-essential is like cosmetic surgery because in a crisis you don't need like a nose job unless you know you had a terrible nose related accident yeah but that's traditionally not even that's an outpatient thing isn't it i think so mm. it, it, i guess it depends it depends on if it's like a, a reconstruction or like a different sort of thing but it and i think it's kind of weird that the what's going on nationwide with the protests because although i understand the frustration i very much understand the frustration behind them because mm -hmm. they know that the constitution has been violated uh but everyone's kind of taking the sit down and shut up and wait for this to be over attitude uh towards constitutional violations which kind of seems bad but you know whatever uh it's very interesting right now because the, a lot of the protests we're seeing, and I think this is something that people fail to remember, is that the a lot of the core of Donald Trump's support is from the middle and lower middle class. These are the and people... The and workers specifically. These are people who are right on the brink. The people that if they miss one or two paychecks, they will slide down the little wheel into poverty. Mm -hmm. And so this is why they are so endangered economically, which is financially and, you know, potentially... Uh, then, you know, their livelihoods are at stake by the whole shutdown because they don't have the money to keep operating. They don't have money to make the mortgage payments. And I don't know about this, and somebody can correct me on this. I heard that rents were being covered, and I don't I didn't know about the statage of mortgages. No. So mortgages are not covered because that's what I feared. Mm-hmm. Since most middle-class Americans are homeowners instead of renters. Yeah. I wouldn't really call, and I hate to say it, I wouldn't really call it mortgaging owning. Uh because you really don't own it. The bank well, owns it. The bank owns it and they're letting you live there as long as you pay them rent. Yeah, pretty much. A mortgage um, is a fancy rent and it's to fool you and to think you own a house. Uh, it's the great American lie. I gotta say, it is It is kind of a lie because you don't home, own the house. Home ownership is a lie with the daily diatribe. <laughs> I gotta say, no, home ownership is not necessarily a lie. I will say you own your home if you own more than 51% of the equity in your home. Uh, other than that, because the, the other 49% belong to the bank, and if you don't make a payment, they can kick you out. I would just like to say that's too complicated. But it's true. It is very true. I know it's true. I'm just saying that's way too complicated than it should be. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's probably why that we're seeing a, that's probably why we're seeing a lot of the outrage that we're seeing. But I don't think it's just that. It's just it's not as much of a concern about um constitutional rights but people don't care about politics until it starts hurting their paycheck yeah yeah that's kind of yeah, how that works and right now that is their paycheck i mean there were democrats in lansing protesting because they were pissed yeah you know? i mean that's kind of the interesting the story of how trump went in the midwest is by rekindling what they used to call the reagan democrats mm -hmm. now now i suppose they're the trump democrats but uh you know, just that kind of uh, manner of blue-collar workers, union workers primarily, or former union workers, I guess, in the case of the Midwest. Uh, and so I guess that's an important thing to think about is because the states that have had these mass protests, and the reason Trump is encouraging them, I would say, is because he, he kind of wants to win those states. Uh, yeah. And Virginia, was... 
and Virginia and Minnesota for him would be pickups, and that's why he's trying to, you know, liberate. He said all caps. You know there are protests Virginia. going on and planned in Colorado even. Why are they all battleground states? It's very hmm. convenient. That's a conspiracy but theory right there. Trump is smart. The one thing that the Trump administration is smart about is in the beginning, he was weak because, you know, he didn't do things and they wanted him to do more. You do things and then you get called, you know, a tyrant, as is the paradox of the federal government. Um, but no, he just basically said it's up to you, but then he can pick and choose who he makes fun of. I mean, that. That is true. I, I never have understood if Trump has a strategy or if they all kind of go about it as they do. I mean, I, before they got rid of Steve Bannon, I thought they followed a strategy. And then they got rid of Steve Bannon. I thought really he was kind of the platform guy of Trump. You know, maybe maybe Kushner is just like the guy behind this all. I am not a fan of Jared Kushner. I am not. He is my least favorite person in the Trump administration. By far. And second place is Ivanka. Those are my two least favorite people in the Trump administration. You know who my favorite person in the Trump administration is? Mike Pence. You guessed it. That's also my favorite person in the Trump administration. And you know what? This is when we're glad it's anonymous because... Well, I mean, it, it's not... I don't think that would be a controversial opinion. Yeah. I mean... Well, I mean, consider... I mean, your favorite person can't be Steve Mnuchin. Your favorite person can't be Elaine Chow. Your favorite person can't be, uh... Wait. Why can't it be the Secretary of the Treasury? I, I, I also never really liked him. I don't like, uh... I, don't, I liked kind of, uh... What did he do to you? I don't like the course of action. I don't like how he's failed to negotiate with Nancy. I mean, Schumer are doing stuff right now. I, I never have understood that whole kind of thing i also have a general disdain for the treasury department because it's useless while the power to print money maintains with the federal reserve the treasury department in my opinion is fundamentally uh vestigial well any fun any loan facility has to go has to be signed off by the secretary that's true but to operate any loaning facility has to get money from the federal reserve I'm sure the Treasury Secretary can do things. What I'd like to know, is there anyone whose favorite person in the Trump administration is like Betsy DeVos? No one from Michigan. <laughs> unless you're unless you're busy trying to sell a garage full of Amway products. That's tough. <laughs> I swear it's not a pyramid scheme. <laughs> yeah, I mean I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you. I don't like Betsy DeVos either because the pyramid scheme, it's a really bad thing. Uh, nobody likes pyramid schemes. You shouldn't like pyramid schemes. But I think it's kind of interesting because talking about the protests that we've seen, we have to remember, in my opinion, I know people think that Virginia is now a blue state. If I was a Democrat, I'd be concerned about Virginia. Because you have a Matt, Ralph Northam who will depress Democrat turnout because he dressed up in blackface. He should have resigned. Definitely. problems. He definitely should have resigned. And then his yeah. lieutenant governor got accused of sexual harassment. Also bad. Uh, and then, uh, to, to be bipartisan, the, the Republican governor before that embezzled something like one and a half million dollars. So Virginia just really can't, it's not, it's not a good judge of character in these last few years. Uh, I, did, I did, however, meet one of the most popular non-incarcerated politicians in Virginia, Tim Kaine. I liked Tim Kaine. I, I, you told me about that. And I maintain that he is the only reason Hillary Clinton won Virginia. Because I think without Tim Kaine on the ticket, because he, Tim Kaine is one of the remaining Democrats in the Senate, I can't even remember that many others, who is pro-life. I think it's him and Bob Casey. And, and Joe Manchin. So that's three people. Joe Manchin doesn't count. Does he not count as a Democrat, or does he not count as pro-life? A Democrat. Yes. Mm. Maybe. Uh, I you don't remember. Rhinos? You had your rhinos. He's basically a dino. I don't know what he, he he represents. West Virginia. That's what he represents. The West Virginia Party. Uh, and then you have 
you know, more moderate Republicans, more moderate Democrats. But yeah, he's one of the few pro-life uh, Democrats. And so that's why I bet he could win even if he was on the same ballot as Northam and Northam would lose because Northam is really pro-abortion, which is not a stance you should take in Virginia. Virginia's... Not just that he's hmm? he a physician. Who? Northam? Northam is a physician? Last time I checked, he was an MD. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, but he was the guy who signed the partial birth abortion bill. So what I'm what I'm getting at is that He's Virginia, Virginia, I don't think will be an easy state for Democrats to maintain in 2020. Uh, and so if I was a Democrat, what I would do is I would try to get Tim Kaine as much as possible to campaign for Joe Biden. That's That would be the smartest thing you could do because that's really the only way you're going to get it because, uh, I mean, you're just looking at here. Biden did really well in the primary there. He got 53%. But what I'm concerned about, and even though the polls aren't showing it, and the polls, you know, the polls were wrong a while ago. But if, if Democratic voters in Virginia, they really need to separate Northam from Biden and attach Biden more to Kane. Because that's how I think uh, he would still be able to win there. Because the Democratic Party there especially with the gun thing. Remember, 40,000 people showed up to Richmond with guns. That's that's never a good that's never a good thing to see if you're an incumbent government. It's 40,000 people showing up on your front door with uh, armed and wanting to get you out of power. That's uh, that's never ideal. That's never ideal. No, at no point in history has any official in power been excited to see 40,000 armed people trying to get them out of oh, office. Oh boy. In most cases that usually leads to the overthrow of a government. Uh, but you know, we don't have, we don't do that here in the United States, except that one time, but we don't do that here. It happened in, it happened in Wilmington during the reconstruction era. There was a coup d'etat. It was the only time it happened in the reconstruction era. That was kind of a disaster. It was definitely. So it was one time. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past Wyoming or North Dakota. Yeah, yeah. But they wouldn't, they wouldn't overthrow their governments because they have governments they're happy with. If they got pissed with them, it would change. If they got really ticked. Yeah. But, you know, Northam should not run for re-election. The Democrat Party should find somebody new. Uh, and so should the Republican Party. They shouldn't run Ed Gillespie again. I think that was the second time they ran him. Uh, so the next Virginia gubernatorial election is, in tw is actually next year because they do off-year elections. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see and see how that turns out. He'll probably get primaried, and I hope he loses because he... Should not be the standard bearer of the Democratic Party. Uh, additionally, what's the other state they've seen protest in? Uh, Minnesota? I think so. Uh, I'm looking at that. The Minnesota protest, because a lot of the protests kind of look have the same. Yeah, liberate Minnesota, protest organizer. We want our rights restored. Uh, so here's a real question. How, how do you two feel about the stay-at-home restrictions? I feel like it's one of those things. Yes, it really sucks, but it's one of those things like it's it's like almost for the greater good. And I know, you know, the whole, you know, constitutional rights violation thing. But it, I feel bad about, you know, like being annoyed at the protesters because like we do have a right to our rights, but also it seems a bit callous at this point. So mixed feelings is what I'm trying to get at. I, I would agree with you that it, it, it seems a little bit like, can we do this later sort of thing? Yeah, uh, like, now, really the best time for this. And I understand that that sounds stupid. Because I understand why they're protesting. I understand yeah. why they're protesting, and I understand they feel that their rights have been violated. And, you know, perhaps their rights have been violated. I, I will give them that. But mm -hmm. what I will say is that right now, it's not safe to do this type of thing. And so we're really kind of stuck in this kind of paradox mm -hmm. where you either have to do what's best for the country as a whole, but what is best for the country as a whole? And I would say what's best for the country as a whole, and this is my opinion— is that we continue the stay-at-home orders, but I also understand is that the economic impact that's going on is going to be huge. So what I, I would really want, and I think people, I know renters deserve a lot of attention too, I understand that, but I really think we need to pay a lot of attention to people who are mortgaging their houses, people who have mortgages. I think that there needs to be some sort of fund that we <clears throat> compensate people with mortgages because those are the middle-class people and they need some financial relief as well. Uh, a lot of the people who have uh, rent and work in the cities are actually quite economically well off. Uh, 
we have to remember that people in the Midwest, we are not the wealthiest people on earth. We are not as wealthy. We are probably not as wealthy. People who own houses in Michigan, I don't mean own, people who rent these houses in Michigan through the mortgage often will have less money than people who are renting in a major city. Not all of them and not all the time, not even most of the time, but there are a lot of wealthy people on both coasts who are entitled to this sort of uh, being free from the landlord, while Midwesterners who are significantly poorer do not. You have to remember that an apartment in like California and San Francisco, a nice one, they said like $100,000 or something like that. Yeah, it's a result of local inflation. Same exactly. reason why you have the $15 an hour wage there. Yeah, exactly. You have this massive localized inflation. And so I think we deserve some sort of, uh, the Midwest deserves some sort of financial compensation for our homes as well. And, and that's probably one of the reasons these protesters are pretty ticked off. I would be too. Mm -hmm. This is where I'm controversial because living with a physician and talking to, um, actually you find this interesting. Beaumont Wayne is closing. Really? I, I heard that and I thought it was just a rumor, but I would like to know now more information nope. about it. It's going to close. Um, so there is no vaccine for this, nor will there be for a while. And there's no real effective way to do this. Mm -hmm. And stay-at-home orders, yes, there's such thing as flattening the curve, but the area under the curve doesn't actually change, so neither does your number of people you infect. It just spreads it out over time. But there is a limit to how much you can take. Wait, I would actually like to... Is that like a medical thing that the flattening the curve only spreads it out longer? That's the whole point. Okay, because that is what I said at the beginning, and I felt really callous thinking it, because I remembered how plagues no, used no, to the spread. Whole point, the okay, whole point on. of flattening the curve and having people stay at home is drag it out longer so health systems don't get overwhelmed. So it's not to reduce the, the infection rate. It's just to spread it out over longer. I mean, by making it take longer time, it reduces the infection because people are at home. Okay. But the number of people that end up getting it is going to be the same. It's just longer. Will the, number Rather, of people, will the number of people who die be the same? That depends. That that You don't know that number because you don't know whether your health system would actually become overwhelmed in Michigan. Okay. Because that kind of interests me. Because I remember, you know, back in days of old, before they could do anything about this type of thing, what they would do is it would just burn through the entire population two months and it would be over. But, like, hundreds of thousands of people would die, and I obviously didn't want that to happen. But I wondered out yeah. loud... If that sort of thing happened, if we could ha if we could handle it, that that's probably what we should have done. Because if yeah. if the health that, system that. was able to actually handle the top of the curve, an unrelented curve, then it could go down and manage everything a lot quick more quickly. Yeah, and this is where actually I, I meant to talk to you about this separately. Anyways, um, there's a white paper that's being developed on how to handle this in the future, mm -hmm. and the current thought is you have a stay-at-home order for, and this is actually North North or South Dakota is doing this. You know what her, you both know what herd immunity is, right? Uh yes. I didn't hear what you said. Herd immunity. What? I can't hear you still. Herd, herd immunity. immunity. Herd immunity. Is that what I heard? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Then I have not heard it in a while, but I'm pretty sure I know what it means. So the current thought process is okay, you're most vulnerable people to this virus or a lot with a lot of respiratory diseases is your old you're immunocompromised and people with pre-existing conditions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not you, you, or me. Actually, kind of me because the asthma, but that doesn't really count right now. Um, but the thought process is, because there's the two competing schools of thought. There's the epidemiologists that say, stay at home for as long as you can until we figure this out. And then there's the economists saying, wait a minute. If nobody stays at home. If everybody stays home and nobody spends any money at all, you know, the, the U.S. economy is supposed to shrink by like 6% in a year. Which so, would... Be, so so which, the argument would be that that would kill more people too? Just via starvation, yeah. inability to pay for healthcare and all that, and homelessness? Whether it's, whether it's suicide via depression because you're now in the hole. Yeah. You're unable to pay for medical care. You're... I don't think starvation would really be a problem. Homelessness but might be one. Homelessness could be a thing. Um, that would actually, homelessness would drive people to do drugs. Yeah. You know, it, maintaining an indefinite stay at home order would spawn a lot of problems that we would have no solution to fix later on, mm -hmm. or would be a lot harder to fix. So the, the rival school of thought to staying home for long periods of time is, 
okay, anybody that would be, you know, not to be mean about it, but screwed over by the virus or extremely vulnerable, you know, stay home, quarantine by yourself. Let everybody that is regular, like your standard healthy population, go at it. If they get sick, okay, you know, develop herd immunity as quick as possible. Yeah. And you might be done in two months instead of six, seven, eight. Um, a lot of people in the UP are, you know, of the belief that we should have never shut things down. Well, that's, that's because in the UP, you're kind of already socially distanced. And I hate to say that, but... That, that is true. true. Uh, in my county, there... Uh, last I checked, there's like seven cases, but that was a little last. I, I didn't actually mean that as a joke. I mean, like, there is a... Like, between people's houses. Like, how nearby is your nearest neighbor? Um, about an eighth of a mile. See, that's not... That's not super close. That is definitely more than six feet, is what I can say. And... It, it's just le- it's a less densely populated area. Yeah, but like these are the same people who you know don't believe in vaccinations and believe in the curative properties of essential oils and kombucha. So I'm not quick to trust them. You know, the state can force you to get a vaccination. It can. Really? Yeah. Really. It was a Supreme Court case a, a while back. You see, I, I don't like, I understand if the vaccine has already been tested and everything like that, but I, there's always this little thing yelling in the back of my mind that having the government being able to, against a parent's will, pump their child full of chemicals, it, it's just, there's just something wrong about that in the back of my mind. Uh, That's what you hope that the government is functioning like it should, not as you wish it to be. You see, I wish that people were smarter that way. We wouldn't need these kind of laws because if people would get vaccines for preventable diseases, then we wouldn't have this issue. Uh, but there's there's certain vaccinations that I have refused to get. I refuse to get the tetanus shot because I don't need one because you don't get well, te- you don't get tetanus from rust. Tetanus does not well, come from rust. It comes from chicken poop. Yeah, but you're still recommended to get it anyways. You are still recommended to get it anyways, but I was I've never right, got you might but need was, one. You have chickens. So I would, you should get one. I, I am not I around under, chickens. I was under the impression that you only needed it if you stepped on, like, stepped on something and it pretended to trade the skin that could possibly give you tetanus. Yeah, it, it only actually you comes from chicken poop. Before you risk infection. That's like vaccine 101. It comes from chicken poop. I am never exposed to chicken poop. I eventually. Well, I was lied to, so. You were lied to. Uh, also, um, uh, several, like, people i know are once the uh, coronavirus vaccine does come out uh will not get it which causes some issues no i totally I'm... understand that because of who's promoting it well it probably means i won't be allowed to get it i mean the the thing that annoy the thing that kind of scares people about the coronavirus and kind of annoys me is how fervently bill gates supports it makes a lot of people very suspicious uh, because Bill Gates is the same guy who's talking about he, how he wants to reduce the world's population by 10 to 15%. Well, not like this. No, I know, but it's still... And, and he was the same guy on CNN when they were talking about how many people would die. He started laughing. <laughs> he was like... A, I remember that. He was like... A, Anderson Cooper was like, we're looking at about one, maybe one or two million deaths worldwide. And Bill Gates was just like smiling and going... <laughs> and then he just took a sip of coffee to like hide it. No, like, apparently in the US, it's like... 100 in like 1 million people or something that actually die from this or less. Yeah, but I, I understand that and I understand what you're saying, but I, I still don't like the, or no, no I'm not going to speak for myself because I, I, I would definitely, I would, I would get a coronavirus vaccine. I would just want other people to get it first. Just like, like how, how you doing? I mean, cause Bill Gates I don't trust Bill Gates. I'm sorry. I don't trust Bill Gates. You don't trust the guy who helped solve AIDS in Africa? Here's the thing. Here's the thing about Bill Gates and about almost every single billionaire from the United States. Every single billionaire from the United States doesn't really care about the United States. The fact of the matter is is that the every, everyone from the Waltons, Jeff, Be- Jeff Bezos has artfully structured his payment plan to where his employees use up $3 billion of public funds from the federal budget. That's called accounting. It, 
it annoys me, and it's it's really it's, you know it's, it's un- really patri- smart it's, accounting, it's, and that's some in the regulator. Patriotic. You know what though? He and I didn't I tell you about the Project Maven thing? Not yet, no. But oh, is that the thing where his employees were willing to do that? The the government, the drone thing the, that the, the Google employees basically said we'll, we'll all quit if. So I appreciate doing him doing that, and it covers a little bit of it. Valley to do that, I think it's great. I. I have to say, on my ranking of billionaires, he is definitely higher than uh, he is higher than uh, Gates because Gates had for a long time definitely more buying power than Jeff Bezos. Definitely now after his divorce, more buying power, you know, inflation and all that. When he had about a hundred billion dollars, now he's giving away a lot of his money. But here's the thing: the amount of money that Bill Gates has that he has not spent on the United States, on the homelessness problem, on the opioid epidemic. I mean, I understand it. I understand wanting to help Africa. I understand wanting to help uh, South America. But if I had billions and billions of dollars, I would I would fix my own country first. You know who? You know who? Um, we don't talk about very much anymore, but still affects academics. Who? Carnegie. Are they Are they still around? Well, considering that a lot of my academic. Um, Journal access from U of M is powered or paid for by the Carnegie Foundation. I would say yes. So, are they? Is that are they still a unified wealth block anymore? Is there still like one big Carnegie? Or are they now a bunch of little Carnegies? I have no idea. Uh, Carnegie Lings. <laughs> Carnegie Lings. I feel like they're probably all Carnegie Lings now. Little little Carnegies running around on a board of trustees rather than one big Carnegie like there used to be. But I I would argue that the the minimum wage. In theory, in a in a correct capitalist society, should be above a living wage. But because that's just how the supply and demand curve is supposed to work, is that enough products are supposed to be freely available to where a majority of the population can consume them. That would be under a normal supply and demand curve. However, with what we've allowed to happen, where there's a lot of government contracts and a lot of corruption and a lot of tax loopholes, if the ta- if there were no tax loopholes. Capitalism would not need the kind of rapid or the ra- rapid or rabid overhaul that some people on the far left propose. Uh, because if capitalism were correctly observed and correctly regulated to a certain extent, you wouldn't need, you wouldn't have all these cries of uh, to reform the capitalist society because you wouldn't have these cabals of billionaires at the top. You probably would have a, a decent amount of billionaires, but you have to remember is that the wealth concentration is so ruined that you know. I there were two articles that i read today and they were side by side and one of them was yeah one of them was 40 percent of americans are one missed paycheck away from poverty and the other headline was yacht owners with priceless art need to beware of flying champagne corks that is kind of the the illustration of a wealth gap that we have in the united states you know i actually had to watch ted talk for exam for um exam prep from my econ professor would you say, would you guess, is it worse or better than it was a century ago? Uh, wealth concentration? Yes. A, exactly a century ago, ago, I'd probably say better. We are doing better than we are than we did. I mean, of course we're doing ago. better than the Gilded Age. It would be hard to do worse than the Gilded Age. No, but like we're doing better than the Roaring Twenties. I could believe that as well. Because you have to remember that the Roaring Twenties was not roaring for everybody. It was roaring for the Wall Street class. Yeah. The Roaring Twenties was good for the people in East and West Egg, if you catch my allusion to uh, a certain novel. But it was really bad for people in the middle of the country still, because you got to remember, everyone was still working in factories where they'd chop off their fingers, and then their boss would say, hey, you lost your arm. You're fired. Yeah, but at least they got a fridge. <laughs> I also really hate The Great Gatsby. Uh, I don't really know anything. I, I mean, I, I read The Great Gatsby, but I don't know. It, it reminds I me hate- of... When we read The like, Great Gatsby, wait, I want to—I have a question for you. Let's finish your thing first, but then I have a question for you about your class reading The Great Gatsby. Uh, never read it, just watched the movie uh, in my U.S. history class. Disappointment. I'm disappointed. <laughs> if you need the teacher, it's very on brand for him. But, um, I, uh, my friend has it at her house, and I read an expert, excerpt of it, and I hate how the, all the dialogues in italics, because that's stupid. That does seem stupid. But there is something I do want to say is that while reading The Great Gatsby, you have to remember that there is a lot, and this probably was unclear in the movie because movies are terrible, 
Uh, not really, but movies of great novels are often not great. Uh, but what I wanted to say is that, if you remember this, is that there is a lot of biblical allusions in the book The Great Gatsby. And so, if, and if you read it, you have you actually have to do quite a bit of exegesis to realize this. The end is actually a reference to Revelation. Uh, because Just... this, I, this is not in the movie, so, but it's fallen. Fall, there's a basically a whole scene that is basically fallen. Fallen is Babylon the Great, and it's kind of interesting. But uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald is actually rather critical of the Roaring Twenties as being completely fake and superfluous. Uh, well, just because a book alludes to the Bible doesn't mean it's good. No, it does not. However, it was a very good book. The movie was terrible. Uh, counterpoint, they're both bad. No, the book is great. The only part that was good about it was the movie's party scene. Have you read the book? No, and I won't. Then you can't say the book is bad. I can, There's and only I will. one book series bad. you can say that about, and that's Twilight. That is your only free pass. Yeah, I would say that, yeah. So, back to the point of whether the stay-at-home order works or not, I would I would say, <laughs> screw it, we're done. <laughs> we're done staying at home. We, I just want to go outside. No, you know what? The nursing homes are getting slammed anyways. That annoys me, because we've actually seen a lot of nursing home workers go to work with the coronavirus, and that just annoys the heck out of me. Yeah, I mean, if you know that you're in con... Okay. Old people, immunocompromised people, or anyone that would be unusually vulnerable obviously should be not just quarantined in their homes, but quarantined from each other in your homes. Because, okay, think about it. I live with eight people. I live with, no, seven people. Mm -hmm. It takes, what, two weeks to show symptoms of the virus if you show symptoms. Sometimes you don't. Yeah. A lot of the times you don't, especially when you're somebody's our age. Two weeks times eight. That's 16 weeks to possibly have to be stuck in your home if you are not isolated from the rest of your family. In a perfect... In a perfect quarantine, you are in contact with no one and you touch anything, and you, or you do not touch anything that may hold the virus. Yeah. But this is this is an imperfect quarantine. The whole point of a stay-at-home order is to have a perfect quarantine, and you can't get that because people either won't follow it, as I'm sure you know people in your community who probably aren't following it that great. Oh, yeah. The parks were <laughs> I mean, I, the I, pool, I, the teenagers party still somewhat. Not yeah, I, yeah. I mean, you see people on social media all the time violating the order, and it just kind of ticks We're me off. We're not cool enough for the party. No, you know what? If it was absolute and everyone stayed in their bedroom alone for two weeks, it'd be done. Yeah, and that's what they said. If you could just suspend everybody in air for two weeks, it would be all over. But that is not the case, and it's not going to happen. And it's not. It's not even possible. So, rather than have a recurring issue all the time, get herd immunity done while saving your immunocompromised people. You know, just just a little bit of a counterpoint is that the way things are going right now is if we don't continue this, a lot of people will die because of the overwhelming of the healthcare system. But now I already thought of a counterpoint to myself, which is about the hospitals going bankrupt. So what I would have what I would have suggested, and I think we should have done this earlier, is we should have launched a bailout of the hospitals the hospitals especially rural and urban hospitals we should bail yeah, those out the problem is that we can't bail everyone out at some point there has to be a stopping point mm-hmm. i mean we're already helping the cruise ships the airlines now we're gonna having to help the hospitals but now they're going bankrupt anyways i wouldn't help i wouldn't have helped the cruise ships and the airlines i think the hospitals would have, would have been a little would bit you, more would, you, ra- would you rather have no airlines at all you see, I think what's important to realize is that we, we can bring back jobs. We can't bring back people. Uh, that would kind of be my point to that, is that as soon as somebody's dead, they're dead. Uh, and what we should do, and this is a, a, something we've seen other countries do, and not recently, but we saw this during the financial other financial crisis. Hospitals are some of the few things that you have to bail out the company. The rest of business, you can pretty much just bail out the people. Because you have to remember, is if you bail out a company, their CEOs are going to take massive bonuses from that. They did in 2008. They took multi-million dollar bonuses. If you did a bailout, I would hope that you had stipulations that it doesn't happen. Because otherwise, it's just a wrong package. Yeah, but you have to remember is that people wouldn't people would want the bailouts to have loopholes in them. The people in people in Congress, not everybody. Some people would. Well, that's why they wanted an inspector general to see the bailout of, or just the the execution of the cares act which i'm wondering what trump's reasoning was 
for sending the inspector general back to the Pentagon. I really think that we do need some sort of uh oversight. We need definitely need oversight. We always need oversight, especially when it comes to the distribution of money. But I, I think I think Trump honestly was just pissed with Pelosi and was like, "Okay, you're telling me what to do. You're done." I still really want to see uh I really want to see that we are able to curb inflation after this cuz that is what concerns me right now. I'm yeah, really concerned it was about not inflation an issue until we gave all people that made under 75 grand 1200 bucks. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but and that that's also true, but when we are thinking about the whole thing, inflation is going to be important because we we probably should have started out by bailing out people. Uh, we probably yeah. shouldn't have started out bailing corporate bailing out corporations. Uh, but one of the things that we should do right now that wouldn't be inflation prone would be if we started mandating that things, you know, we're kind of stuck at a weird crossroads. Because I, I was going to say that we could mandate that banks stop charging people more mortgages and that would not cause inflation. But then we would have to pay the banks. There's really there's really what? a no-win-win situation here. It's a problem with the quarantine because you stuck everybody in place. You're having a negative demand shock. And, you know, you say, okay, why didn't people save up for this? Okay, you can't expect, like, maybe you can expect, like, a 20% cut from an eco economic downturn. You can't expect, you know, 90 to 100%, which is what small some small businesses considered non-essential are experiencing. Yeah. And what really is... And it's confusing to know what is or is not essential. Because the yeah. government has determined it, and a little bit arbitrarily, uh, determined what is and is not essential. Yeah. I don't know how it is in Birmingham, but Whitmer is very unpopular in Monroe County for that. I, I have not been uh, able to tell. Very unpopular in Delta County. You know. Just in general. You know, I would just... Uh, I would like to take a look now. I will take a look at a certain map. The 2018 Michigan gubernatorial election. Okay? Yep. So, I'm going to... No, we don't have a detailed map. Gosh darn it. Uh, but wait, wait, do we have the detailed map? No, we do not. What I was going to say is I was going to look up those respective counties and see how they voted. Because it is my suspicion, and I almost hate to say it, that your two counties did not matter as much in the gubernatorial election. That's usually how it goes. Uh, your county, for example, what county did you say? Uh, Delta. Delta County. So I'm going to check a map. Uh, map by county. Or Michigan Governor's Race. Uh, I'm actually going to have to go to the New York Times website. New York Times. Let's see. Actually, it's on CNN. I have it. Do you want me to tell it? No, now I found it. Uh, but yes. What? What? Yeah, Delta County. Voted 55-42 for Bill Schuette, and Monroe County voted 52-44 for Bill Schuette. My county voted 57-40 for Gretchen Whitmer. Hmm. So, and here's the thing, though, is that your counties are traditionally red counties. Yes. Actually, Monroe's usually blue. When was the last time it went blue? presidential election it went blue in 2016 no 2016 was the first time it went red in a very long time oh because i'm thinking about it i'm gonna look i'm gonna look at monroe because i know where monroe is monroe went red 2016 monroe went blue 2012 so yeah you got a point there very slimly blue however it's more of a swing county yeah no it was it's pretty it's it's all union workers it's all big three employees. Mm -hmm. I see. So that's why it's usually going blue, except for, as we talked about, the Reagan Democrats slash Trump Democrats. Yeah. My county is very, Oakland County is very strange because it, it voted for Rick Snyder. It voted for Rick Snyder. Uh, and then it voted for, Mitt, and did not vote for Mitt Romney. It voted for Clinton by more than it had voted for Obama. So it actually swung further left. But that's just because Oakland County is full, 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 full of the type, full, filled, filled, filled with the types of voters that Trump alienates, which is uh, suburbanites. Trump has really alienated a lot of suburbanites and a lot of suburban uh, white women 
that's really his worst demographic that he's just kind of butchered for the Republican Party. And so my county has swung farther left in recent elections because of that. There's farther Democratic, not necessarily left. But I don't know if that's going to happen this fall because Biden's going further left on fiscal issues. That, that, that's also true. He didn't have that problem with in 2016. You know, I, I will I will agree with you there. But I think the thing that they're going to have as a problem in the future is the Republican Party is relying on a demographic that is not necessarily growing. It's the demographic of the Republican Party is going to increasingly... It'll make the electoral map rather interesting because I could see in 20 years... Illinois being a battleground state, Indiana, uh, Iowa, and Ohio being a solid red, and Texas being blue. I don't think you'll see a blue Texas for a while. Uh, I, I don't well, think it's... Not it's, while it's, not, it's not, anti-2A, not while they're anti-2A and a lot of other things. You, you have to remember this, is that the amount of immigration to the state of Texas, the, the demographic change is going to change Texas. Yes, but Latinos are conservative. Socially to social issues and the democrats are not at all anymore this is true and it didn't make i I will have to remind you of this i think that there's a possibility that texas will start going blue presidentially before it goes blue gubernatorially i think an important flashpoint moment for that is ted cruz and beto o'rourke and ted cruz was about two hundred thousand votes away from defeat they threw so much money at that, and he still lost. They did. But also, we have to remember, is that Beto O'Rourke was nothing special. He wasn't one of their... Uh, he was He, wasn't he was so- a media icon for CNN for like six months. Okay, I'll give you that. He was a media icon, but that doesn't mean he was a Texas icon. He was also the Zodiac Killer. That was Ted Cruz. That was Ted Cruz. Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking about Ted Cruz. We are talking about Ted Cruz. Sort of we're talking about Ted Cruz. But uh, if they brought, if the Democratic Party was able to bring somebody uh, who was probably more of a centrist instead yeah. of Beto O'Rourke. The, who... the National Democratic Party is no longer that of centrists. Yeah. Like, it is they, now if, Medicare for all or get out because Biden's trying to win over all the Sanders. If, if they could bring back Lloyd Benson from the dead, he would win. I think if they brought back, like, who was it? I'm going to forget now. Oh, crap. You know, I don't remember. Never mind. But the thing that I'm, I'm warning the Republican Party of is that they need to uh, become more social issues focused again to win over conservative Hispanic Catholics. Because unlike other immigrant groups in the United States, the Latino population is not becoming more secular. If we saw another Road vs. Wade-esque case, I think we'd do it. If I mean, you have to remember, Louisiana is already suing to overturn Roe v. Wade, even though they have a Democratic governor. Uh, that would be that's kind of strange. I don't think people would expect that. Uh, but you know, yeah, this is kind because... of the, the wide-reaching consequences of the coronavirus. Is uh, I think a lot of people's corona how they reacted to the coronavirus will be used for them or against them in their political futures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not only that, but um, to go back to the courts for a second, all of FDR's nominees mm-hmm. for court were your big players for your desegregation movement in yeah, the court. Yeah, that, that's true. Uh, Trump has changed the courts more than FDR did in four years. Yeah, I mean, Earl Warren was around. He's the one who did that. Uh, and we have to remember, you know, much to FDR's credit, is that he did have a he did get a lot of judicial nominations filled and that caused a lot of progress well into the 60s uh, on areas such as uh, segregation. Yeah, so. it's, a, it's a life term. And it I think a lot of people forget that. Uh, I mean, you have to remember is that, what's his name? James L. Buckley is still on the D.C. circuit and he's 97. I thought he was retired at this point. He's not retired, but he's technically retired. He's like no longer on the rotation, but he's still a judge. He gets paid, but he's not actually doing anything. Yes. I don't like that. I don't, it's um, not much different than any other government job. But um, Nice one. Yes, thank you. Um, But if the Democrats try to push a lot of things that would be viewed unconstitutional in the courts and Republicans lose power in the legislature or the White House, 
you know, 15 years from now, they're going to have to deal with this wall of the judiciary that says, wait a minute, that's illegal. That's kind of interesting, though, because you might see what you saw in the 90s, which is conservative Democrats. Maybe. Because you're, you're going to see the Democratic Party stonewalled by the courts, just like how they were stonewalled by Reagan's, all of Reagan's judges in the 90s. Yeah. And, you know, Bush 41 judges because there was 12 years of control. Yeah. And so you're going to see this massive amount of, and, you know, even Nixon and Ford appointees, because you remember Carter was only there for four years. Yeah. Um, so in the 90s, they had, the Democrats just had this massive wall of judges they couldn't surmount. And that's going to be the same after Trump. And so what you're going to see is you're going to see uh, probably the Democratic Party, Party be kind of capped off at a certain point and have to change course and go a little bit more conservative, which would be kind of nice. I, I like I like conservative Democrats. I like Tim Kaine. I like... Uh, well, you know, you're one of the only pro-life Joe Democrats. Donnelly. Joe Don. Yeah, I mean, I got. I have to say, is that a, I was invited to DNC and I would like to go to the DNC. I don't know if it's still happening, but if so, I'm going to be one of the eight attendees of the Democrats for Life conference. Uh, which is a very fast shrinking group. But you I might get you might get something thrown at you. I think it will grow once again <laughs> soon as uh, I, I actually I think that once the Latino vote is fully mobilized, that that will be a group that grows again. I still can't believe Whitmer called abortions life-sustaining. That was certainly an odd choice of words. That's both dramatic and tragic irony. It certainly was. I would not have chosen those set of words. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think that was why. Yeah. And then, you know, on a, on a more U of M versus MSU type, <laughs> just to get off the deep she wore an msu vest in a lot of her video addresses and i'm like were you insulted no because my dad's tech my dad technically is a professor at msu but i'm in the u of m system so explain that well she that's the college she went to isn't it i don't care she's still an alienated anyone that doesn't like little brother <laughs> the well, like, we've covered a broad range of topics tonight, I see. Yeah. Uh, mostly all kind of hinged around the coronavirus's consequences, though. Mm -hmm. Oh, it, it will have mass uh, border security. I mean, it has definitely turned the corner on border security. Everything has gone a lot more uh, right-wing on conserv or on border security. Yeah. I don't even just call it right-wing. It would just be national security. Because now it's not just your... Um, I wonder if the EU will still have that free travel zone. The, sh the Schengen area? Yeah. I mean, probably. And Switzerland now feels like a genius for never joining it. Oh, yeah. They're like, oh, you suck. Oh, I know. Never mind. They, that was the only thing they did join. They probably feel stupid now. They didn't join the EU, but they joined the Schengen area. And so now they probably feel stupid. Poor Switzerland. Yeah. These are strange times for sure. That's for sure. I mean, the political repercussions are going to be interesting. Uh, we're probably going to see a lot of exposés after this. Yeah. Sadly, none of the exposés will be on China. Uh, I wouldn't say that for sure yet, because that might be a major thing. In, if we have a general debate, imagine doing a general debate by Zoom. That'll be interesting. That'll be interesting. I, the, <laughs> yeah, just 191 little people talk, trying to talk all at the same time. No, because Biden won't be allowed in the same room as the president because nobody's allowed in the same room as the president. Because if you'd watch that podcast that Fauci actually did with the Wall Street Journal that I showed you, <laughs> the number of people allowed in the White House right now is very limited and they get their temperature checked constantly. Really? Yeah. That makes sense. That's a good you really want to knock out. like It just so happens that most of our presidents are like 70 or older. Um, Kind of proving the point that a Zoom... A general like debate would be a bad idea uh my computer just froze <laughs> well you wouldn't be paying or i don't think you're paying tens of thousands of dollars for enterprise connections however you have to remember is that on the talk shows they still had crappy connections yeah that's because they're working from home i just thought that that was hilarious that to watch george stephanopoulos pixelate up on good morning america that's tough and you would think the people living you know in that i mean i'm assuming they're living somewhere close to downtown yeah. But you have to remember how overwhelmed all the internet connections are. 
Yeah. Which is funny because mine's been great. Like mine is probably faster than before. Mine like, is also mine is similarly great, but only at weird like, times. There was a week. Wow. There was a week Wait where a it sucked when everyone like when everybody got home from school. Mm -hmm. But like since then, like I get seven hundred megabits down, and it's probably gone up. Well, which I think is we're weird. Gonna... My Wi-Fi sucks. I guess we'll finish on that note. I don't really know what else to say. <laughs> subscribe to the Taylor Diet. Indeed, like and subscribe. <laughs> More red complaining about her wife. To the Taylor Diet Tribe. We will be oh, back. Hey, I'll do a final tomorrow. You have another final tomorrow. You want, you want to talk about the lack of academic honesty right now? Uh, well, you, yeah, everyone's cheating. You know what? That'll be. I, I'm assigning you an insider report on academic dishonesty. I can just tell you right now. It's really easy. <laughs> yeah, but I want you to do it in verbose language that'll make it sound like a hit story. Everyone's yeah. getting caught enough that it's on an official email that says if you even try to cheat, we're kicking you out. Uh, and they had to change up my finals again. Is it because everybody's cheating? Nothing that I've done in my count class has counted since the last month. You know, that reminds me is that my stats teacher says, I'll know if any of you are, I'll know if any of you are cheating because you'll be outside of two standard deviations of your average test score. What if well, you just learn? No. Because here's the thing is that if you're more than two standard deviations away, then it will be really suspicious because that you could probably improve one if it was like over a slow course of time. Mm -hmm. then there'd be a trend but she like does like deep statistics on the scores for the class oh yeah i mean if you suddenly went from like a 70 to a 90 yeah but if you went from like a, if you went from a 70 to an 83 to an 85 to a 90 she'd be like good job but if you went right yeah. and even now actually even if you went from like a 70 to a 90 that would probably make sense because what would what probably happened is uh it would probably be because of the curve i'm pretty sure what it is is it's a raw score standard deviation Okay. Because the curve in our class is about 7%. You guys get curved? We get a huge curve, but that's because our classes are impossible. Here, let me read you a problem. <clears throat> One of the two fire stations in a certain town responds to calls in the northern half of the town, and the other fire station responds to calls in the southern half of the town. One of the town council members believed that two fire stations have the different mean response times. Response time is measured by the difference between the times an emergency call comes into the fire station and the time the first truck arrives at the fire scene. This one actually sounds easy, so now I regret reading this. Uh, <laughs> data was collected to investigate whether the council's belief is correct. A random sample of 50 calls selected from the northern fire station had a mean response time of 4.3 minutes with a standard deviation of 3.7 minutes. A random sample of 50 calls selected from the southern station had a mean response of 5.3 minutes with a standard deviation of 3.2 minutes. Construct and interpret a 95% confidence interval for the difference in mean response times between the two fire stations. Does the confidence interval in Part A support the council member's belief that the two fire stations have a different mean response time? Explain. That doesn't sound too bad as long as you know the raw, the raw math. This, yes, I will agree that this is not a bad problem. However... Being assigned 20 of these problems every night takes a toll on you. You know, I haven't taken college stats yet, but college calc is not that bad. Uh, this is just high school stats, but it's Cranbrook high school stats. It is Cranbrook high school, which means it's basically college high school stats. I, I hate to admit that, but it's kind of true. It, you know, my hardest class, my hardest history class I've ever taken at Cranbrook was my sixth grade history class. Why? Because the man was rapidly overqualified. He probably had a PhD. I, I don't even know what he had. He he, he spoke Korean. It was... He, he's Polish. He spoke Korean. Uh, he had, like, a giant bookcase with books in, like, every d different language. The, our, our test about the Russian Revolution, we had to know the difference between the cadets and the Mensheviks, like, specifically. Hmm. Uh. And this was sixth grade, and this was a two-month unit. And we learned all of Russian history from Ivan Moneybags to the Russian Revolution and then eventually the collapse of the Soviet Union. That's fantastic. In, that, that does sound kind of cool. In, in three months, and it was terrifying because one day we came into class and he was like, okay, we're going to do a simulation of the Kronstadt uprising. <laughs> and, 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 it included a whole, and it included a whole subsection where we had to cover the Kornilov affair. 
This was two months. Tell us about this tomorrow because we're going overtime and we I got going overtime. But yeah. basically, I'll tell you, he assigned us twenty pages of a college reading book one night. I have to craft an email to a professor, so I got to dip. And I actually have to do this. So thank you for joining us on the Daily Diatribe. Uh, we will see you tomorrow, or actually, you will hear us tomorrow. Uh, make sure to like and subscribe and do all that fancy jazz. And now I'm going to play more Hank Williams as soon as I can find it because I lost the tab where all my Hank Williams I uh, hear it was. Thank you. Remember to subscribe and do all that stuff. Bye. I'd like to start off here with a song that I recorded here not long ago. I think it's one of the prettiest ones I've ever recorded. Boys, if you will, a little tune called The Lost Highway. I'm a rolling stone all alone and lost For a life of sin I have paid the cost when I pass by, all the people say, there goes another boy.